Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, EncounterChurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. Can I be honest with you and tell you that there are two um, times of a year that for a pastor, it's really difficult. Um, Easter is one of those, and Christmas is the other. Why are those difficult? Because it's the same story that you've got to somehow bring about a new spin, a new idea, a new focus each and every year, right? Because many of you know the Christmas story. If I was to ask you, tell me the Christmas story, most of you in the room could tell me the Christmas story. So how are we going to tackle this in a new way that brings some new light or sheds a new light on this Christmas season? That's what Christmas revolution is all about. I began to process this, and at first I thought, well, that's kind of a strange name. Uh, how does that really work? But then I realized that's exactly what Jesus did. When Jesus came to earth, when Jesus came as this baby in a manger, he began a brand new revolution, a revolution of love. Now, let me give you the definition of the word revolution. It simply means a sudden radical or complete change now are you grabbing a hold of what i'm talking about this morning with christmas revolution jesus in this moment as he came to earth he brought about a a sudden radical complete change it's exactly what he did the shepherds were leaving the fields to find this beloved messiah kings beginning a long journey simply following a star a young peasant virgin girl is approached by an angel and her whole life is shaken up a world is met with hope jesus takes the stage the revolution begins now it didn't take long for jesus to create this revolution luke chapter 2 uh, tells us a great story that's unfolding. Mary and Joseph, that's Mary the mother of Jesus, and Joseph the earthly father of Jesus. They find themselves among the craziness and the busyness of the census of Bethlehem. So over the next four weeks, I want to take some time and I want to look at what is this sudden, radical, complete change? What is this Christmas revolution what does it bring not only to the very first christmas with mary and joseph and the shepherds and the the wise men and all of those in the community of bethlehem but what does it bring to our lives today in 2019 now this morning i want to approach this message even though it's in the christmas series i want to approach it not as the christmas story but I want to look at the purpose. Why was this revolution necessary? Why did Jesus need to come as a baby in a manger? Why did Jesus leave heaven, the beauty of all that he had? Why did he come that very first Christmas? You see, many of you could share the highlights with me this morning, but I want to look at the why why did jesus come to earth 
Why did he give up everything for you and for me? Well, our text is pretty clear, and it answers the question for us this morning. It's found in John chapter 15, verse 13. Here's what the Bible says. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, that they come and lay down their life, they give themselves for somebody else. That's the Christmas revolution. That's what Jesus did for us. You see, the purpose of this revolution, the purpose of Jesus coming to earth, the purpose of Christmas was not so that Jesus could gain something, but it's so that we could gain everything. Let me say that again. Let that sink in today. You see, this Christmas revolution is, is more than just a nativity scene. It's more than a few Christmas carols. It's more than presents under a tree. It's more than a, a meal together as a family. The purpose of this Christmas revolution was not so that Jesus could gain anything, but so that we could gain everything. The very first Christmas began with the sole purpose of changing the world. A sudden, radical, complete change by one man, Jesus Christ. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for us. But it all started with a baby in a manger. This baby in Bethlehem. This long-awaited Messiah. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 says this, all of this occurred, in other words, this Christmas revolution occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Would you let that sink in just for a moment? In the busyness of the Christmas season, some of you have already begun to experience the busyness. You went Black Friday shopping in any Black Friday shoppers. I'm more of an online Black Friday shopper. It's like incognito. You do it at home in your pajamas when no one's around. That's my kind of Black Friday shopping. But I did, I did go to Walmart on Black Friday. There was a reason why Jesus came to earth. And it was evident on Black Friday in Walmart. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him 
Emmanuel, and here's what I want you to grab a hold of, which means God is with us. You can put your name in there. God is with John. God is with Sally. God is with Jamie. God is with us. This revolution of love began a sudden change of everything. God is with us. That's the message that the angels gave to the shepherds that night. They said, I bring to you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. In other words, God is with us. But what is this idea of God is with us? What does it really mean for us today? I mean, I, I can see the turnaround that it created. I can see the instant change that it created in Jesus' day with the shepherds and the wise men and, and all of those in the community. I, I can see it then, but what about now? Does the idea of God with us really make a difference in 2019? I would suggest to you today that, in fact, a, a true connection with God makes all the difference in the world. If you haven't experienced that connection with God, if you haven't experienced God with us, let me challenge you, give it a try. That connection with God, allowing God to take root inside of your life, it radically changes, it changes instantly inside of who you are. It causes a revolution that brings about a much-needed change in every one of us. But let me process something with you on the onset of this message. This idea of God with us. It, it literally means that, that God is in our midst. Or, or you take a step further and, and there's a union between God and us. It, it's more than simply saying, well, God's in the same area as we are. God is in the same room as we are. No, no, no. It means that God dwells in and amongst you. God has communion with you. God has fellowship with you. I don't know if you're grabbing a hold of this, but the Savior of the world, the creator of the universe, the one that spoke life into existence, desires to be among you. That's good news. It's more than he's watching us from a, an, a far off distance. It's more than, than he is somewhere in the area. It's more than he's hovering over the world. No, 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 no. God is right here amongst us. Each and every one of us today. For the next few moments, I want to look at four revolutionary changes that Jesus brings to life. Four revolutionary changes that this communion or connection with God, with us, this connection, four things that it brings into our lives. Number one is this, without Jesus, the best we have is sin. 
Yes? Without Jesus, the best we have is sin. You see, the reason Jesus came as this baby in a manger was to give himself on the cross of Calvary. The re- You've got to grab a hold of this. The reason that Jesus chose to come to this world was he knew that the only way that you and I could ever have or achieve anything greater than sin was if he willfully gave himself on the cross of Calvary. Without Jesus, the best we have is sin. Without Jesus, we are without hope. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And she, Mary, will have a son. You are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Well, pastor, I'm a good person. Do I really need a savior? Yes, because you're not good enough. See, heaven is a perfect place where only perfection can dwell. And unless you have somehow achieved a level of perfection, which I know you haven't because the Bible says we all mess up, we all sin, we all make mistakes. See, not a single one of us are perfect. Therefore, we on our own can never dwell in heaven, a place of perfection. So we need a savior without jesus we have no chance the best that we have here on earth is death hell and the grave but look at this second corinthians chapter five but god made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Are you seeing that this morning? God looked upon all time. He realized that in our own attempt, it would never work. He realized that in our own efforts, we could never be good enough. So he took Jesus, a man of perfection, fully God, fully man, never failing, never mistaking, and allowed him to step in on our behalf and pay a price that we needed to pay to give us grace that we didn't deserve so that we could become the righteousness of God. That means right standing between us and the Father. The price that Jesus paid changed everything for us because in our own ability, in our own efforts, our righteousness will never do. The Bible says that our righteousness is like that of filthy rags. You ever try to clean something with a filthy rag? It doesn't work, does it? We were here at the office the other day, and I think it was Linda that was helping me. Somehow I got something, whatever I was holding, I got stuff on it, and she grabbed a napkin, and, and as she wiped, it kept getting messier and messier because there was more and more gunk on the napkin. We try to clean stuff with dirty stuff, and it just doesn't work. 
But when Jesus stepped in, perfection stepped in, our hope stepped in, no longer is the best that we can achieve sin, but now the best that we can achieve, not in our ability, but because of him, the best we receive is the righteousness of God. Our hope is found in Jesus. Without him, we have no hope at all. But maybe you relate to Paul in Romans chapter 7. He says, I have discovered the principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Anybody relate to that this morning? Man, I want to do the right thing. I want to make right choices. I want to go to the right place. I want to have the right thoughts. But every time that I step out, I inevitably do the thing that I know that I shouldn't do. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. The Bible says there are two sides of us. We have, we have our spiritual side and we have our evil side. And they're raging against one another, battling against one another. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. One translation says, what a wretched person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Here it is. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer is in the baby in the manger. The answer is in God with us. The answer is in Emmanuel. The answer is in Jesus. You see, without Jesus, the best that we have is sin. But with Jesus, we have it all. Look at our second change. This is what Mary experienced. Without Jesus, we have no worth. Without Jesus, we have no worth. Luke chapter 1 says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth and a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now, I want you for a moment, ladies, to think back when you were a young teenage girl. Could you imagine in that moment, here you are, you're sitting in your room, maybe you're texting Joseph, and suddenly an angel appears to you and says, greetings, favored woman. You probably would have responded much like that of Mary, confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. I just don't get it. I don't understand. How can I be favored? I'm not even a woman yet. I'm still a peasant girl. I'm a teenage girl. You see, this young peasant girl did not feel worthy of this calling. 
maybe she is much like many of you. She didn't have the wow factor. She didn't see worth in herself. But when Jesus came on the scene, (laughs) when this Christmas revolution began, when this revolution of love set forth in her life, everything began to change. You see, in a moment, in this beginning moment, Mary struggled to see her worth. She was confused. She was disturbed. And maybe that's how you feel today. But I want you to know your hope is not found in yourself. Your hope is found in none other than Jesus. In fact, your value is not in who you are. Your value is in whose you are. If you've given your life to Christ, if you've surrendered your life to Him, you are no longer living a a hopeless, worthless life, but now there is purpose and drive, and God has called you by name. Your value is not in who you are, but in whose you are. In fact, Acts chapter 17 says this, For in him we live and move and exist. One translation says, and have our being. In him we live. In him we move. In him we have our being. In him we exist. He is the reason. He is our purpose. He is our focus. He is our drive. He creates a value and a worth inside of each and every one of our lives. This baby in a manger that came with a purpose to die on a cross. I challenge you today, stop trying to find hope and value in yourself. Stop trying to find value and worth in your situation or your surroundings or even in your friends. Place your hope in Jesus. Let him create a, a revolution in your life this Christmas season. Change number three. Without Jesus, we have only fear. Without Jesus, we have only fear. Look at the shepherds. They experienced fear. It says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flock of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Fear. Fear. I believe that fear has destroyed so many people. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with fear. Take a look at this. Four results of fear. Number one, Fear corrodes our confidence. Fear corrodes our confidence. It unleashes a a swarm of doubt. It lowers our ability. It blocks 
our path. Look at Psalm chapter 27. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? Some of you need to highlight that verse in your Bible. Some of you need to to write it down and stick it on the window in your bathroom. Some of you need to put that on the dash of your car. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing that I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all of my life. Verse 14, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. How is this possible? How is it that we can find confidence and remain confident as verse 3 says? How is it that we can wait patiently for Him? When fear has has stricken our hearts, when doubt is beginning to overflow in us, well, take a look at this. The word confident in verse 3 means to have trust or even to be secure. So, though a mighty army surrounds me and my my heart will not be afraid, even if I'm attacked, I will remain secure. I will have trust. Now again, how is that possible? Look back to verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? Look at this. The Lord is with me. The Lord dwells with me. The Lord has communion with me. The Lord is among me. The Lord is with me, but without Him, fear is all that I have to hold on to. 2 Timothy tells us this, For God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That tells me that fear was never meant to be part of your DNA. Grab a hold of that. Fear was never meant to be part of the DNA of a believer. God with us means that as we allow God to take residence in our lives, grab a hold of this, Fear must depart because confidence takes over. The moment you begin to to rest upon the foundation of Jesus, the moment you begin to allow Him to be the fortress in your life, suddenly fear has no way to stay because confidence is pushing it out. The second, fear clouds our focus. When we think we have lost control, when we think that we have just endured all we can endure, we experience fear at the greatest level. We begin to spin out of control. We'll grab a hold of whatever we think we can handle, even if it's the armrest of an airplane that's crashing. We're going to hold on tight. Oftentimes, when we're driving down the road, 
I don't know that my wife trusts my driving. Because we'll be driving and all of a sudden she'll reach up and just grab that handle in the car. Any other wives in the house do that? Can I just say to you, trust your husband. Trust him. He's been driving a long time. He hasn't had a wreck in quite a while. He's doing all right. All right, let me move on. I don't know where that came. That was inspiration from the Holy Spirit, I think. Some of you ladies just needed to hear that reassurance today. But fear clouds our focus. Uh, The word fear can be defined as this, false evidence altering reality. False evidence altering reality. We allow this, this misunderstanding and we allow the circumstances around us to to persuade us and move us to an area that's not really what God has set for us. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on what? Jesus. Not keeping our eyes on fear. Not by keeping our eyes on the circumstances around us. But keeping our eyes on Jesus, the only way that we can endure to the end, the only way that we can successfully make it to the finish line, the only way that we can achieve what we've been called to achieve is to keep our eyes, keep our focus on Jesus. You see, fear corrodes our confidence. Fear clouds our focus. Number three, fear deadens our recall. It deadens our recall. You see, that's where the shepherds were. They knew about the promised Messiah. They, they had heard the story. They had heard the scripture. They had heard the words that, that promised that, that God was going to send the baby to a virgin and they were going to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the purpose was to take away the sins of the world. They knew this. They understood this. But in that moment, fear struck them. You see, fear creates a a form of spiritual amnesia. We forget the great things that God has done in our lives. But Psalm chapter 103 says this, Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things He does for me. May I never forget the good things that God does for me. Me. Can I just tell you, the greatest thing that he's ever done for you is he forgave your sins. The greatest thing that Jesus ever did for you was coming that first Christmas revolution morning, that very first day when he laid in the manger. The greatest thing that he did was leave heaven so that he could come as a baby to die on a cross for you. Look at our fourth. Fear eliminates real living. When we fear, safety and search of security become our God. God becomes an afterthought. The fearful cannot dream, the fearful cannot love, the fearful cannot give. You see, fearful people are like some of the storefronts that we see around our community. At one point in time, they were thriving 
businesses, people coming in and going out on a continuous basis, but now they're just empty shells, boarded up walls. But Jesus tells us that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. See, fear eliminates real living. I have never heard anybody make these statements. Well, my phobias, they sure do put a spring in my step. Or I'm so grateful and thankful that I'm pessimistic. I've become so much of a better person since I've lost hope. Well, my doctor says if if I don't begin to worry a lot more, I'm going to lose my health. Taking the easy way out sure has made my life absolutely tremendous. Not trusting God is one of the best decisions I've ever made. I've never heard people make these statements. But I love this statement from Psalm 119. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. The Lord is for me. I don't need to fear. I don't need to allow this false evidence to alter my reality any longer. I don't need to grab a hold of whatever's around me. My hope is built upon Jesus. He's my foundation. He's my security. It's not found in people. It's not found in finances. It's not found in my job. It's not found in circumstances. It's found in Jesus. Max Lucado in his book Fearless, he made this statement. Fear may fill our world, but it doesn't have to fill our hearts. It will always knock at the door. Just don't invite it in for dinner. Or for heaven's sake, don't offer it a bed for the nights. See, there are always going to be moments when fear tries to come in. There are always going to be moments when you get that phone call or you get that information or that situation escalates and fear begins to well up inside of you. And once again, Fear begins to knock at the door. But can I just tell you that because of the price that Jesus paid, because Jesus came as this baby in a manger, because Jesus started this Christmas revolution, I don't need to fear. Why? Because God is with me. God is within me. God is within you. But you see, there's a fourth change that Jesus brings about. And it's this. With Jesus, we can rejoice. With Jesus, we can rejoice. See, on the onset of things, when the angels appeared to the shepherds. The Bible says that they were terrified. They were so afraid. But when the armies of heaven came on the scene, everything began to change. 
You see, this Christmas revolution brought about a, a sudden, radical, complete change in the lives of these shepherds. Take a look. It says, that night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flock of sheep. Suddenly, the angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them. Don't, aren't you grateful today that God will reassure you in those moments of fear? The angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you'll recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined with a vast host of others and the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on peace on earth to all in whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord had told us about. And it says they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there, there was the baby lying in a manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what happened. And what the angel had said to them about this child, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. What did they do? They proceeded to celebrate. Why? Because this Christmas revolution made a sudden, radical, complete change in their lives. So I ask you, has God made a change in your life? Has God started this revolution in your life? If so, then it's time to respond. The shepherds had a choice to make. After the choir concert of Heaven's Chorus, they could have said, well, I was purdy. Let's go back to the sheep. Right? But the Bible says the first thing they did is they sought after the Messiah. And there was the baby lying in a manger. They didn't stop there. The Bible says they began to tell everybody what they had seen, what they had heard. But then when they returned to the normal normalcy of life, they continued to give God praise. 
if God has created and begun this radical change in your life, would you do something with that? See, one of my goals when I go out in public, be that shopping or dinner or whatever, one of my goals is to make somebody smile. Make somebody laugh. Make somebody chuckle. Bring joy into somebody's life. Why? Because the joy that God has placed inside of me doesn't want to stay confined to here. So I ask you, are you doing something with that change that he's created in your life? But there's a second group of people that I want to talk to. If he has not begun that change, if you haven't allowed him to be God with you, why not start that now? Why not begin that Christmas revolution in your life this Christmas season? Because, you see, it will change not only you, but it will begin to trickle around to those around you. That's what happened with the shepherds. The Bible says, and everyone who heard this news were astonished. I challenge you this Christmas season. Let God do the change in you and then bring that change 